Hey, it's Matthew. And I'm Drew. And this is our podcast, The Strands That Bind Us. We're both hairstylists, and in the decade we've been friends, we've been able to work together all around the world. Hair isn't the job for us, it's our passion. But more importantly, we are interested in the stories of how hair has shaped the lives of those that work with it and those that wear it. Hair has the ability to transform your look and your spirit, but hair can also change your life. Here are some of these stories. In this episode of The Strands That Bind Us, we have the privilege to speak with one of my favorite and most influential people of my career to date, David Hoffman. From his upbringing in St. Louis, we speak about his initial connection to hair and how he has been able to connect with his clients throughout his career. David's ability to see beauty in others is a trait of his that I learned watching him from day one in his salon. His rule of 51% business and 49% relationship speaks beautifully to his mindset towards each client. Having a passion for fostering relationships with his clientele he sits with, David is well known for creating beautiful hair and having such a remarkable and positive imprint on each person that he touches. He speaks to and from the heart and is a huge part of my success in my own career. Serving his clientele has kept him working long hours, but never working hard, he states. His level of service and approach to his craft and customers is truly remarkable. This is David Hoffman's story. Everybody's got a little story they can tell and you know that we can. It's the strands that bind us. Baby, can we talk it? Well, David, I mean, of course, you know, you know, I think the world of you and love you dearly and I'm so honored that you're here. And, um, you know, I think to kind of start it off, you know, everybody that knows you, they they think that not only are you one of the most generous and kind individuals, but you're also one of the most best dressed in the room. And so clearly fashion and, you know, appearance is a big deal to you. But I would like to know a little bit more. Tell us more about why hair? How did your process and your journey start into hair? I was one of those people, never good at math. And my dad reminded me, you're going to have to use math every day in your life. So you better start paying attention. Wasn't my thing at all. But um, I cut my sister's hair when she was around, I guess she was like 11. And I cut her hair one night and cut it off you know, short and she had thin, fragile hair. And it, it was a great deal. So that just kind of spurred me into cutting. Instead of my parents cutting my hair, I started cutting my own hair, which turned into cutting some neighbor's hair and then eventually cutting high school teacher's hair. In high school, I'd get called out of school to come in and go up and do a perm on Mr. Tyndall, the principal. And I did a perm on Mr. Phil Hours, <laughs> but eventually Tyndall and Phil Hours got married. So I guess their hair really worked while I was in the office. And then the principal would take you to McDonald's <laughs> afterwards, which, you know, now it would be illegal to take you off campus to McDonald's and come back to school. But at that time, you know, that's when the world was a little different. Yeah. Wow. So it was kind of fun to... So you want some brownie points. Exactly. You want some serious so brownie points. I just points. could always see three-dimensional shapes in here. So... A little bit of college. I was like an art student all during school. You know, I was the guy that would sew the triangles in your pants to make bell bottoms because, you know, it was more fun and fashionable. So it just was I was going to be an artist. And, and eventually, you know, the word starving artist got kind of scary as I got closer to the idea that I could graduate someday. And how are you going to make a living in? What form of art are you going to make a living in, you know? And I think everybody finds their kind of platform or their medium 
or their kind of thing. And mine just gradually kept becoming hair. You know, I think when I said to my dad, who is an engineer, you know, I think I'm going to become a hairdresser. And Drew, you experienced some of this when you told your parents after college and whatever options you wanted to become a hairdresser. It wasn't a negative. It was just like, well, how's that going to happen? How are you going to make it? And um, like I said, I guess the medium became hair. I always refer to hair as live sculpture. You know, it has to grow. And if it grows into something, when a client comes back in four, six, eight weeks and says, gosh, my hair was long, but it still was great. That's like one of the best compliments because that, that shape grew and it worked. And so it's kind of life sculpture. So it, it, you know, that became my medium somehow in a, in a wow. good way. That's a, that's, that's really cool. That's like I love that story of you in high school doing your teachers and how did you even know how to do a perm then? Well, I, you know what? I had a neighbor who was a hairdresser and I would go over and tell her I wanted my hair layered. And she said, Oh, your hair's too fine. So like I said, I started chopping on my own hair and I had to go back and get it fixed. And eventually I just could do it my own way. So when Blue Lagoon, the movie was in with Christopher Atkins, so I thought it'd be a great idea. My buddy and I both had really bleach blonde hair to perm our hair. And of course, you know, I knew how to do a pin curl because I watched my mother pin curl her hair for years instead of the dryer. So at the time I did his in nice little sections and pin curls. Well, he had no idea how to do mine. So I had to pin curl my own hairdo and we put Bobby, we put Bobby (laughs) pins on. Well, you know, a perm solution in metal bobby pins is not a great idea because obviously within a matter oh. of minutes you get rust, right? So by the time we rinsed and did, you know, I mean, honestly, it came out with, you know, all the part sections were heinous and the hair just sprung off our head like we were a bunch of idiots. We didn't look like, you know, Christopher oh, Atkins no. and Blue Good at all, <laughs> but at the time, you know, so we literally got the next morning. He had actually had some wave and curl. I just looked like an idiot, so I had to get my hair cut short. It just was always that transition toward being creative. So watching a perm, I think I just kind of watched just manipulation and i just figured out how to do a perm a couple of my neighbors i tried them on you by then you bought the tony home perms you just went home and you wrapped them and did a tony home perm sometimes you use paper towels or toilet paper to keep your end papers if you didn't have the money to buy the end papers yeah so stuff like that wow. trial and error right and i had That's neighbors amazing. to try it That's on cool. and siblings and principals drew told me that you have some beautiful connections and relationships with so many of your clients that must lead to some very interesting stories that are book worthy. So why don't you kind of give us a couple stories that you, you know what I mean? You love talking about and some maybe inspirational or some interesting journeys you've been down. Well, gosh, that's, yeah. You know, I mean, the charm of still, I, I still have my first ever paying customer female and I had the male customer, oh. but he, got, he would bald like I did. So I do his wife's hair now. So in a way <laughs> I still get to make money off them all these years <laughs> later, it's 34 years later. So it's a, those are really compliments when people uh, continue to trust you and creativity or your skill and you still have the 5149, the friendship's so strong, but the purpose is your hair. So hopefully you focus there, you enjoy, and then you focus again and they, they start out happy and they leave happy uh, for multiple reasons. Um, gosh, inspirational, you know, helping someone, you know, sadly shave their hair when they're going through about a cancer. You know, I got called out, went to a friend's home, Mary Vornis, you know, dear friend, went out by the pool you know, her hair and, you know, and took those moments to make that, uh, you know, that, that taking that hair off for someone who's sick, it's the first sign to the world that, hey, I have an issue. There's no more privacy because now people can see there's a situation. And, and those were just touching moments because you share a real personal private space, you know, and when they let you into that world, that's a really amazing and wonderful thing. And crazy stuff. I had a lady fall in love with me, you know, and wanted me to take a cruise no on way. the Aristotle Onassis boat. And, you know, she knew I was married and she knew all those kind of things, but she still started giving me envelopes of cash and loved men that wore jewelry and 
gave me the Tiffany's catalog and uh, wrote me a little cutout hieroglyphic <laughs> note where she cut out letters and typed it. I know it's not fear you're feeling, it's love. And I was like, oh, goodness. So I had, oh, I had, to, ask her, had to ask her not to come back anymore, you know? So uh, it was one of those things that she forgot, That's a good she forgot our space. And so uh, even though I do say I love you. I don't think I've ever heard oh, that gosh, story. Oh, gosh, Arlene Marshall. You know, and even though, uh, you know, I do say I love you a lot of my customers. And back in the day, you could kiss them. You know, give them a kiss. And it, it, it was always that way. And it was always very, you're touching people already. So it was a natural progression for me to touch. And so now I'm not so much of a hugger. We have to be a little less hugging. Yeah, it's changed. That's mm-hmm. what I love. That was one of my favorite things that when I used to, I don't, I'm not in the salon at all anymore, even now and it's something the biggest thing that i miss and it was also interesting what you're saying about your you know one of your longtime male clients that went bald and i i'd never thought of that before that i missed some of those relationships like it was someone who i saw every three weeks for 10 years and they went bald and it was a that's a challenging journey for them to go through but then also I never really looked at that as being, I miss them. Yo, I wish yeah. they could have came to me yeah. every three weeks still. And I, you know, I had situations with some of my ladies because you now I've aged with my customers after 34 years, you know, and some of these ladies see you on a weekly basis. I have a lot of maintenance ladies, as I call them. And um, you forget how powerful your time with them is. And you forget that sometimes you see them more than they see their own grandchildren because depending if they're in town or just time in life. Mm. So I would often say things to them about something and, you know, and my wife would say, be careful, David, because, you know, whatever. So Lorraine Robin, do you remember her? Uh, she was going to redo her home or decorate it. And yeah. I just reminded her at 90, you know, you don't want a little space between the carpet and the wood from room to room. You want to make it smooth. So I said, make sure you don't have any of those little risers. Well, she went home and told her children, you know, oh, uh, we, I can't have any. I'm not going to do any new carpet. I have to have all the same flooring. And the daughter called me and said, what'd you say, David? And I said, oh, here's what I said. I didn't say that. I just said, make sure the carpet butts to the wood. But when she passed away and they had her funeral, she had three daughters. And the, the person who gave the eulogy said, and if she ever had one son, it would have been her hairdresser, David. Mm-hmm. So That's beautiful. What more can you wow. say to that? And she was a 35-year customer. So what a blessing. Those are the touches that really... Yeah, you've always had this uncanny ability to connect with each one of your clients. I mean, I, you know, for those of you listening... You know, David and I's history goes way back to my birth uh, in the hospital, visited my mother when I was born, and um, we've had this long- First day we met. Yeah, long history. Um, My first mentor in the industry, even before I got in the industry, and working in St. Louis in your salon at David's in Clayton for three and a half years, and you've given me the world and everything I needed to succeed in this industry, so I owe you everything in that. Um, Watching you was so special because you had this uncanny ability to- connect with and treat every single one of your clients as the most important person in in your chair. And I would see you, well, I wouldn't see you because I wouldn't be coming in at 5am, but I would witness your books showing that you're there at 5am and, um, and not leaving, you know, until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, those schedules, you always said that you never worked hard, but you worked long. What was the biggest struggle with that? Like, what is the, you know, what was the hardest part about those hours, those long days being that level of servitude towards your clients? Well, you know, for me, being a probably a silent workaholic, you know, I, I don't think I ever thought there was anything hard about it. But I think in retrospect, there's a new generation of people who have a really good sense of work-life balance. I think I'm in that generation of the harder you work, the better you do, the more you make, and you're just going to work hard because you have to. And then having a couple of daughters and the privilege that my wife got to take an opportunity to stay home and raise the kids if we chose to do so, if we liked it, and it seemed to work for us. Um, there's a certain sense of um, pride 
in wanting to provide and to hopefully show a an, maybe an overzealous work seal. But what I've realized now in some respects is not that I didn't love my early mornings at 5 and 5.30, those people who should have private time and the, the music's more beautiful and the conversations are in depth, there's no one else around. But I probably missed out on some family time. It wasn't that it wasn't valuable at the time, but I had to see a bigger picture of providing. And now I look back and think if I'd stuck a few more of those nuggets in along the way, it probably would have served me well in memory and in just, you know, balance. But, you know, you only, COVID's kind of redirected the balance now for me. Yeah. What, how, how has COVID really affected? What's the, been the biggest thing with COVID for you, the biggest learning curve? I mean, obviously, it's affected all of us so, you know, just grand. What's been, what's been your silver lining and what's been your biggest challenge with it? Well, I think the silver lining was just the fact that it, once again, it, it gave me a, a different choice on work-life balance. You know, sometimes I'll have three and four people I'll be working on simultaneously because I have an assistant, Bobby. And so I can do two colors and do a straightener and I can have someone here and we can work that teamwork. And now that you have limitations on space in the shop and you want to provide an experience where clients don't feel crammed or uncomfortable, and you have to balance that out. So it's given me the ability to say no in a way that doesn't reflect on me saying no because I, I don't want to be the bad guy, but the ability to say, listen, I can only have so many people here, so I can't take you today, so you'll have to wait. And I was always the king of saying yes because that's why I would be there at 5 o'clock or 5.30 or 6. And you keep adding that, oh, he'll never come at 5.30. And he says, sure, I'll take it. I'm like, oh, okay. you know. So, <laughs> so it taught me that. You know, that's one of the silver linings was having that balance and having a couple of grandchildren, a couple of granddaughters. It's like, you know, I'm really seeing that pull for what my priority of time is and what I'm going to get paid back in the long run. And I think that would relate between having a friendship with my family and having a friendship with your clients. And both of them feed you pretty enormously. Wow. Yeah. So I'm lucky. Yeah. So that's one of the silver linings, you know. One of the challenges is, is gosh. This world of technology, as you guys know, I struggle on, and I still have pencil and paper mad at my salon. I, that's how we take our books, you know? And I always joke to my customers, let me get my computer opened up as I flip the pages to the next day. Because um, <laughs> it's simple that way. And I can I always see an erasure, but I can't see a delete, you know? Mm-hmm. I think um, some of this world has really gotten interesting in the technology has provided people to reach other people, uh, putting your information out there visually. And that's probably something that, I always say to a lot of my generation or my clients who are in their 70s and 80s, my ladies, we really don't live in that world as much. But I, I think there's some of that parts that have passed me by a bit, and not totally, but I think that's an area that was probably a loss for me, uh, you know, in the idea that, that I'm probably not as able to go forward as fast because I don't have that technology behind me. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's inter- I found it so interesting when, you know, when you're talking about really taking that balance for yourself because I think as hairdressers, it's not about – putting that extra person in to make the money, it's about how you created that relationship with someone. And it's not just as easy as being like, no, I can't provide that service. It's like, this person's like closer and I have more conversations with them than some of my best friends. How can I say no to that person? And my wife would occasionally remind me in the nicest of ways, when the kids are younger, remember when you say yes to them, you're saying no to me and the kids. And Ah. I was like, wow, you know, that's not really true. But, but, you know, sometimes... She didn't mean it in that same group. No, yeah. There's that emotional feeling. That emotional feeling's accurate for her, and it wasn't invalid, but it wasn't done with any intention to say, you know. But that was always a striking point that now as you look back, I think, gosh, there was her trying to get me to have that balance, but I had to find it myself. Well, I think that there's been that issue with a lot of hairdressers that have, you know, chosen the it is the clients over my family and over other yeah. people, and it's 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 definitely 
been a small plague in the industry for a lot of people. So kudos for you for keeping up with that. But also what I find is really fascinating too, is your relationship with Drew. And he's, you know, definitely mentioned you quite a few times and told how much you mean to him. And what I find interesting too, is that like, you know, Drew, you meant so much to Drew's success and you really helped him out so much. And then you really supported him and kind of showed him everything with this industry. But then a few years later, he chose that his path was to move to New York. How was that with you? Because I dealt with the same situation with my first salon that I had to leave a very small town to move to the big city. And that was hard. What was that like? Yeah. Well, you know, I see a lot of myself and Drew and, and, uh, in, a, in a great way. And I think in our first two years of our marriage, I said, my wife, what if, what if we moved to New York? What if, what if you gave me the chance to go to New York? I said, you know, you know, big fish in a small pond, but you know, I, I would make it in New York also. I, you know, I, I would just be that kind of person who would make it in my mind, you know, depending on what level or behind the chair or in travel like you guys do. Absolutely. Uh, so I always thought it would be. Now, probably the best thing in the world is I never went to New York because I'm kind of an all-in guy. And, and if I got to New York, I probably wouldn't have survived New York or New York wouldn't have survived me, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> so I needed to probably be a smart thing. So yeah. my, wife had, days. my wife saw long-term smarts on her part, you know? And now I'm pretty lucky. Um, there was a poster in high school. You know, back when you used to decorate the room in high school, it always had a poster of these birds. And it, said, it always said, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. Um, you know, I, it was that thing with Drew. When I first said to Maureen, in a business sense, I'm, I'm not the best business manager because I'm more of a heartfelt manager. Yeah. I said to Maureen, I'm going to hire Drew. And Maureen's like, David, he doesn't have any clientele. we got to have somebody that's going to bring in. I said, don't worry about that. It's just going to happen. I said, it's just going to happen for Drew like it's happened for me. I just, It's just going to be that. You know, we took him for the first time to the state beauty show downtown, and Sam Villa was there. And I think Drew watched every hour of Sam Villa that he was on for his 45 <sighs> minutes in his break. And, and Drew saw him over and over yeah. and over. He didn't leave, took notes. And it was just such a... A beautiful thing to see someone absorb and you know and just like a hungry person i gotta have this right it just saw he saw a bigger picture for himself and that poster is really relevant because if i didn't give him the chance to go he might have left in a term that wouldn't have been the way i'd ever want that world to be mm-hmm. you know for my own satisfaction having someone young and beautiful and talented in my shop it's so exciting for our people to look at that and of course for my ladies to see all the tattoos they're like oh my gosh it's so crazy. He's so he's so cute. And yet he's like, Why does he do that? You know. And I would just laugh. You know. It's like I don't know. I, you know. So, but um, God, I, I had to see Drew do something that I didn't need to do anymore, but I just knew I could have done, and I just knew he could do everything and then some. And so I wouldn't not want to see that journey through his eyes. And I got the little nuggets of him coming back and forth, and he pops in the shop, does a few people. You know, I get to have. The, I get to do his parents. I get to, you know, I gave them to Drew after I did their hair for 30 years. I gave him to Drew when he got licensed. Now I give them back to me a bit. We share them, you know. So, I, gosh, th- that's a, those are beautiful things, you know, in that nature. Yeah. So it was, it was uh, a beautiful gift beautiful to see journey. him go back and forth. It was beautiful. We've had such a pride watching all that. It's amazing. He's, he's a, you know, he's, he's a great guy. And, you know, when me and Drew first met, you know, we met quickly in Spain and then we spent a, like a five days in a hotel room in Vegas really was the first time we met. And it was just, it was pretty instant connection. And I can see what you would have, what you would have felt in, in Drew right away. And it's uh, you know, he's a special person. And I think that you're an incredibly special man for doing what you're doing. And I think that it's a, it's a part of this podcast that we want to do is bring people that really meant something and that are 
icons. And I, you know, when you said if you went to New York and you went all in, it's like I absolutely can see that in you. Immediately from the first time meeting you, you have this magic about you, and I think it's it's pretty amazing. But you know, then sometimes we choose family or different things. And when me and Drew talk about success and what other people perceive, that's what we often say. It's like. It's just based on the sacrifices that you're willing to make. It's are you willing to sacrifice your whole family and maybe having New York take you over or something? We all have that thing. And I think that you made a great choice. And I don't know, you've done something great with Drew. Oh, my gosh. I said there's so much innate ability there already. It was just neat. Of the whole family, from his brother Blake to Tyler to Grandma Joe and Grandpa Al and all that whole family. I mean, Drew was the one I saw the least. I mean, Drew, they all were in more frequent. Drew was the one that would get a haircut every so often and then kind of be gone for six months or so because either he would cut himself about right. or he, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, gosh, you know. And then you know, the irony of it all coming back around. I mean, I gave him this pathetic little white cotton wiener dog the day he was born where you put the name and the date and how much he weighed. Like, you know, I mean, it was just some of those things I look at it now and think, well, I put some good piece of crystal or a piece of silver, but that's okay. So technically, his actually in all reality, Matt, get this: his parents are really my oldest clients ever because they came from beauty school. So in all wow. reality, Drew's family was really my first person that stayed has been stayed with me in all reality since 1984 when I graduated beauty school. Was it something that was because I know you found hair with an unconventional way? You kind of went off your neighbor and you kind of randomly learned. And did you also kind of see that in Drew and that? it kind of gave you that thing be like, ah, that's kind of like me growing up and I want to give him that chance. Was there some of that in there as well? Oh, yeah. I think there was a lot of that in there for me. You know, I mean, like I said, when you saw his kind of awe and wonder of, I think he learned to become an artist becoming a hairdresser. I think he probably already was an artist, but I didn't see that side of him because I didn't see his, because he was a soccer player and he had other aspects mm -hmm. about him that I was more verbally familiar with. But I think he just had to find a medium that spoke to him. I think this became an avenue, and, and it's also a, a lifestyle that I think adapts to Drew very well in that creativity form that's kind of natural for him. You know, I love the stability behind my little six-foot-by-nine-foot square. That's where I shine, you know, and yeah. I think it's a great little spot. I, I could have a concert every night, party of one, <laughs> sell out every moment. Every half an hour, I have a new, new audience. It's, <laughs> there's a good thing for that, you know? It, it's fun to see someone take long-term goals and 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 go for those and continue to achieve awesome and you know and meet people like you and it's fun to have those connections to learn from you're right like i always i always was creative and but it was sharing moments with you while you were cutting my hair and you know obviously this podcast is about all of the stories and connections that we have to this fabric we have on our head and there were i remember moments being in your chair and watching you cut and watching you create freely and based off of an emotion and a feeling and it wasn't as rigid or strict as as many people cut and following patterns it was based off of a feeling and that was really one of the things that tuned me into hair and that was one of the first things that allowed me to say I can pick up this guarded razor and not cut my hand and cut my hair in the bathroom and style my hair which is why you didn't see me for yeah. six months because you were you were giving me that gift of a little bit of knowledge and here you do this at home and and then I'd come back to you and have you fix fix my mullets and stuff like that but it was uh it was a beautiful thing and so I think definitely this industry this craft has allowed my creativity to develop and be uh gradually built 
and then of course the background of of my business sense has always kind of been there but it's it's it all started in day one in your chair so thank you for that it's beautiful. Well, it is and when we talk about those connections i remember saying to you early on you know you can take two equally talented hairdressers and one person communicates and listens and one person's very quiet and that person who communicates and listens and listens probably our best skill we have as a one-on-one to clients you know to define what short means or not short or to educate them on what's fun or not fun um but that whole ability to sit back and communicate to your clients in a way that when they even watch you cut even though you're not speaking they still see you doing something in an art form and there's a way of communicating that and i do remember you and i cutting early on and we were doing some part work and i pull the whole head of hair off to the side that you know parietal ridge and do it and i and i would grab the whole bunch like well how can you do that i said but if you look you know all the rest of this falls out. So I'm really only cutting that tiny bit of the angle, even though I can grab it. I said, but you can't do that yet. You know, in the beginning, you got to stay squared and lined and in the, in the box. You really master it. And, and, uh, and then you become freeform. And you became freeform pretty early on because you weren't afraid to touch people. You weren't afraid to touch hair. And eventually, you touch their lives. You know? It's a very physical and a very emotional connection. Speaking of touching lives, each one of those relationships has been so important, special, and unique. And, you know, unfortunately, some of those people are are still with us. Some of those people are no longer with us. Can you think back to any of your clients, any people that you've been with that have touched you that still really resonate with you so much that, you know, have been just, it's been a gift that keeps, you know, resonating with you? Oh, gosh, I'm going to give you one off the top of my head right away. It's Melvin Hyken. This little Jewish lady who was just as spry and beautiful and just petite and stylish. And the older she got, the harder it was to find your style because she said just because you like to wear a crazy blouse when you're 60 doesn't mean you can't still wear it when you're 80. But everybody <laughs> thinks you're getting crazier. But um, she just always saw something special in what we did together. And personally, my wife and I became friends with her and her husband and had a chance to travel with them to Kansas City to the art shows in Kansas City. But I remember going there in Kansas City, and here was this lady. They just wanted to have dinner with us and hang out because we're young, and you guys go off and do. But we just wanted to hang with them because they had beautiful stories for 80-plus amount of years. But we go there that first night for dinner, and here's my wife and I looking. My wife's kind of preppy, and I'm a little bit crazy at the time, you know, and we're doing this beautiful thing. And Melvin comes to dinner at 83 years old in a black sequin skirt with a black lace see-through blouse and her black bra. And she's just <laughs> in a, and she was just stunning, and she had this curly... Jewish hair that I put extra ringlets in and we just sprung it out like a kind of asymmetrical and she just always wore it in such a way that was uh, true to herself but trying to find a way to make sure she kept an elegance that was just lovely and and I just found her to be always inspiring because she kind of pushed me a bit to make sure even though I did her hair twice a week it had to just be a little different a little special let's tweak it a bit and that was always the challenge you know so it Mm. didn't become the assembly line you know and I just loved her because you could just tell she respected something that she couldn't do herself, and she appreciated it so much. And twice a week maintenance was a good girl. I, I enjoyed that about her. Yeah, so she was always very, very special. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, and other people that are special. Well, we can mention another person now who is a newer special friend in our life that I got from Drew, who is Bowen, who is another inspiring person oh, yeah. who loves nothing more to bring pictures from Carl Lagerfeld's fashion show. Or, oh, my gosh, David, look <laughs> at this, you know. Different style, you know, she loves following different, you know, people in the fashion world and seeing things and sends me pictures of clothes. Oh, my gosh, look at this that I found. So um, she's always asking, and, you know, have you seen this? So it makes you pay attention Mm. to what's out there because even though some of it might not really apply to anyone, people like the fact that you're aware. 
of what's out there and what's trending and what's going to happen. You know, it might be, I might not put blue hair on my 75 year old, but they want to know that I can. And if I yeah. know that I can, then at least they know they're in a spot that if they really wanted something like that, you know, Jeannie Ansel had blue hair for the last, what, four years of her life. A little Jewish lady that I put some blue curls uh-huh. in for fun one day and she won the $500 stocking at the, at the store for Christmas. And, and she said, I'm a little Jewish girl. And I ended up winning the stocking and she wore, wore blue hair forever since then. It was her lucky thing, her hair. And she wow. wore blue hair for the rest of her life. So yeah. That's amazing. So they do touch you. You're right. They, they're, they're sweet. <laughs> People you love, you know? Yeah, it's it's really cool. I find it's uh, hairdressers of all ages, doesn't matter what age you are. I think people that aren't in a field where we're interacting with young people and people that are inspiring every day, you often don't stay in touch with what's happening around the world. And I found that that's always been a blessing is that I have always still felt, even though I'm almost 40, I'm not old, but I can still stay in touch with a 20-year-old based on what's happening. And I feel like it's the same with you. It doesn't matter how old we get, we're having these interactions, these special moments with people, and we're sharing and we're learning and we're staying inspired by everyone that sits in our chair. I think that's true. And I think you have to read about it, seek it out, you know, a little bit here and there. You have to be aware of what it is, you know. And even though some of those trends, like I said, might not really relate to my clients, they might relate to their grandchildren or someone else, and they want to hear about it or know about it. And there's always a way to adapt something trending to anybody. There's always a way to adapt some form of a process to someone or a color or a sampling that they can always just stretch themselves a bit. So you work real hard and I just want to know how, what do you do to step away from like Drew's saying five in the morning, you're there till like seven or eight at night. What are you doing to kind of unwind? Or is that something that you haven't learned until this last year? Uh, you know, I, I, I've never worked a hard day in my life, Matt, but I work long hours. But it's not hard because, like I said, if you like what you're doing, you like the connections with the people, it's really not hard. So that part's a lucky thing for me. Uh, I, I love golf. I'm an avid golfer. That's kind of my aspect of my space and my outdoors. I love driving my convertibles in any sort of weather, especially in a giant snowstorm with the top down. It's like a giant sled <laughs> I can ride. To that. I have my top down <laughs> all the time, every day of the year if I can. Um, those things. You know, just, you know, for me now, you know, um, just hanging with my wife and doing stuff that we like to do. We're kind of in a free spot with some grandkids ourselves now. So we're a little more free for us to do. And we're enjoying that aspect of our lives. So, you know, it's, um, it's just a real, right now I'm in an easy balance. You know, I, I don't feel the pressure to have to work as hard. So I find that what I'm doing now is a real easy balance of time and energy for mm-hmm. me, you know, you know, I, I, I kind of get in kicks too. If I said, if I choose to read a book, I might read three books in a row, but then, might not read a book for three years. Yeah, so that kind of stuff. That's about you know? the same with me. Yeah, I buy buy a lot of books. I look at on the shelf and then I start them and I don't. Yeah. I fall asleep I page three. Yeah, yeah, it's got to catch you right away. <laughs> so it takes me a long time to read a book. So a lot of indulgence, but yeah, just easy balance. You know, like to cook. Drew's yeah. dad. Drew likes to cook. You know, I only drink one cocktail. You know, I should branch out and drink different brands of cocktail. But as Drew knows, I drink the same thing everywhere all the time. You know, your cocktail preference, and it's a Cosmo, which is vodka, but it's more of basically a vodka martini with a splash of cranberry, splash of Cointreau, no fruit. That's it. Perfect. And that's it. Yeah. Same thing. Okay. So truly, yeah, so I still got it. But you actually have had business yes, we cards have business made cards up. made with our drink. You know, and, no, and no garnish, please. You know, and uh, yeah, because we're pretty exact about it, and we're king and queen of return. We will return to the heartbeat if that's 
got too much cranberry or they put a lime juice or a lime rim. Oh, so sorry. You know, that doesn't, it doesn't equate. So we're horrible. And our kids are like, you guys need to learn to drink something else because you guys are a pain in the ass with your cocktail. But um, it's, yeah, it's our favorite thing. But you're right, Drew. We got the, I'm, I'm pretty uh, solid on it. Same drink 24-7. But yeah, New York was a good time. We had a great time in New York City. And we sampled a lot of the beautiful world then. It was good. Oh, but same drink. You know, if it's, if it's 10 in the morning, I'm going to have a drink. It's probably going to be a, a Cosmo. You know, terrible. <laughs> my own version. So, if you if you had one other, like, did you ever think of doing something else before hair, or even right now, if tomorrow you had to stop working, what would be your next job? What would you do? What would be my next job if I did or stopped working? I think if I would to reinvent myself, I always think, what if I broke my arm and I and I of course couldn't be a pro golfer and I couldn't join the senior tour and I couldn't do. I probably would either. I'd be one of two things. I'd either be a personal stylist. I love putting together, you know, looks, and, and I think there's a whole. I think it's a whole image when you work with things, and I, I probably would love doing interior design work. You know, the combination of those two things probably would be uh, about creating personal spaces and feelings. And I think a lot like what you guys and, and Drew thinks about doing with Crux. You know, a brand, a, an ethereal lifestyle, a, a, a concept that connects on every level. I love that. Yeah, I think I'd be a chef, so it's the same kind of thing. It's always in like a. Something to do with design or feeling and an experience. And do you cook a lot? I love every night. Yeah. I cook all the time, like at least three meals a day, especially during quarantine. And now I searching out recipes. I find like all week I've been going through all my cookbooks with tabs and like putting those little tiny yeah. post-it notes. And I made fresh from scratch dumplings last week. I made oh, spicy no. tuna crispy rice. Like I've been really kind of experimenting. <laughs> for chicken for chicken and dumplings? Did you make chicken I, well, and dumplings? My, my fiance is vegan or vegetarian. So I did it with impossible meat and shallots and a bunch of stuff. And then I hand rolled all the dumplings and mm. I boiled them. So, so it was, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. You've come a long way, especially since I the McDonald's love seamless McDonald's. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> like my biggest thing is fast food. I want fast food burgers all the time, but I'm trying to not do that. And you know, so now it becomes like a celebration meal. Yeah. Yes, you know, you can once a month or so you can treat yourself to that. Yeah, hey, a good McDonald's French fry is not to be uh, dissuaded. It's a good thing. So I know Drew has told mentioned about a story, but I'm going to let Drew intro that one, and I need okay. to hear this. Yeah, and you know, I, I hope this isn't throwing you too far underneath any bus, but we have to share oh the dead my man's God. jacket. Yeah, <laughs> that's such. A... <laughs> so to everybody listening, you know, David Hoffman, one of my most favorite people walking this planet, is one of the best dressed people, and is very well known for, you know, in the hair industry you get color everywhere and David does everything seeing two to three people per hour. So there's color flying yet. He still is, would be dressed in a Gucci suit if he could every day. He's still dressed to the nines, customized has had custom tailors. So he takes that very seriously. So that's, that's yes. my intro into. To oh my gosh. Right so this here. is, um, you know, my wife doesn't share my same passion for the price I might pay for a certain item. So at one point she gave me a, wanted to sign a contract and make me sign a budget that I wouldn't spend over $500 on anything without her approval. Well, just so happened, I had been to a little store that was in Clayton a couple blocks away, a little haberdasher that had a lime green natural silk slug blazer that was over the $500 limit that she had bequeathed that she <laughs> wanted me to listen to. And I, and I, of course, couldn't. And so, of course, I purchased the coat. And knowing that you know, I, I couldn't bring it home in the way that I intended, I decided to 
take my little lady Melvine that I mentioned earlier, her son unfortunately had passed away. And I took the time to take ink and like the dry cleaner, put your name inside the collar. <laughs> and I wrote that she gave this to me from her son. It still had, and therefore <laughs> I could wear this coat without having to have any descriptions of a panic, you know, which was very good. So I did so, right? Now, sadly, this guy was like five foot five. And his coat would never fit me, but, you know, she was so sweet. So about five years later, we're out for dinner with another dear friend, the Bornesses, and some other people, and Nancy Spiewak. And somebody says, oh, my gosh, my favorite story, the dead man coat. And my wife's like, oh, I love that story, David. Please tell. Well, she didn't know the dead man coat story at the time. Oh, so, therefore, no. it was not <laughs> – it was one of those stories that – it didn't go over as well at that <laughs> dinner party as it did at other parties. But, yeah, that, that was one of my shopping uh, – yeah, one of my good stories, yeah, that I kind of, you know, had to kind of straighten up and fly right on my shopping expenditures. Oh, man. Do you, yeah, do you I'm still known for my clothes. Do you still have the dead man's No, that, that coat went away. No, that coat got given away over time. Because, you know, a green, lime green coat gets a color spot on it, brown. And you're unless you make a Jackson Pollock coat out of it, you're pretty much done with it after a bit, you know? But I That's do like to point. dress up. And I do think it's important. For me, it was always the blazer and a, a wonderful outfit, and I like to dress like that, and I think it evokes kind of the clientele that I draw, you know, in a way. How does dressing, how has that played a role for you? Well, back in 1984, when I first started doing hair up at Frontenac, well, my second job was in Frontenac, um, you don't have a clientele, so you spend your time, you know, between rumbling the mall, saying hi to people, getting to know people, hoping you'll build from stores and people say, hey, go to that guy. And at the time, I dressed pretty radical for some people. You know, Culture Club, you know, Flock of Seagulls, all that world was there at the time. I had Billy Idol white hair because I had hair. Um, I wore full-length silk dusters. I wore willy wear, which is like early leggings. And I looked like the the Hamburglar, particularly up, by the way, Matt, the Hamburger. I had a, a black and white striped <laughs> tunic jacket with a pair of leggings or black and white stripes, like two inches wide, like I was in jail. I looked it's just amazing. like the Hamburglar. Yeah, so, you know, so people would see me in the mall and think, oh, my God, who is that crazy guy? And, oh, he's a hairdresser at Sal Vitale's Salon of Cosmetology at Plaza Frontenac, the craziest name, on the, unbelievable. And um, I got known for being a, a wild dresser, but yet a, a, a normal guy who's a great hairdresser. So it kind of kept filtering over. You know, people would say, I don't want to look like him, but I, I want him to do my hair. So that at least struck a chord on people to see creativity maybe and just you know a little uh, maybe hint of eccentric in some ways but i became I, people noticed it and it, it, i kind of you know that helped me in, in many ways you know yeah i did i did this, when i first started the salon i was like at a very high-end salon that i started to work at and i was like a skater kid like i was like i i, I was mm -hmm. not meant to be there and i just had i actually started wearing a shirt and tie every day and started dressing to the nines every day because their clientele yeah. was very wealthy and they were looking at this kid with tattoos and I didn't look the part. I changed the part. And actually that is how I built my clientele is changing the way yeah. I dressed and, and kind of becoming something that stood out to people. Yeah. It, it really did establish me in different ways. And uh, one of my customers, Jackie Danker, I, I saw her in the mall one day and I was ready for her. And she was shopping in a nearby store and I went over and said, Hey, Jackie, come on and come over. And I was wearing at the time a rubber sweater. It was rubber. And it was tied with these leather straps on the side. It had mirror, it had mirrors ah. on it. it. Had mirrors. Wow. And I went over, I went over and I said to her, hey, I'm ready for it. And it was this very tartan corner preppy store. And she whispered to me, 
don't ever recognize me in public with that top on again. And I was like, okay, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, shit. But, but she was so conservative. And, and yet she adored me with every week. And I just laughed. I'm like, okay, gotcha. You know, I'll wear, I'll wear a fur coat to your Christmas party. And, and I did. So it was great. So she was, yeah. So yeah, I made it fun. And she was a wonderful lady for that, you know. But yeah, I do think that people see someone who's willing to take a risk sometimes, someone who's willing to push the limit a little bit. And I think sometimes people need to be pushed. You know, we can all have a, a bob, and the bob is one of the most ethereally beautiful haircuts in life, right? But how many variations of the bob can we create? So it's so much fun to take someone, and even if they are going to still be a form of themselves, they can always be a better version of that bob or themselves along the way. Add in another accessory or add in another angle or add in a little slice of color. All those things can create a, a sense of visual please and target and excitement. Devils in the details. Which is good. Yes, yes. That's beautiful. Good point. Yeah. Very good point. Well, sir, this has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I can't tell you how much I enjoy and appreciate your presence in every every facet. And, uh, you know, I hope hope I get to see you very soon. I hope Matthew gets to meet you. And you're one of my favorite people in this planet. So I'm touched and I'm flattered. And, Matt, I feel like there's already a friendship connection because it's already that wonderful guy, Drew. I look forward to seeing so much more of you guys uh, continuing your fun and excitement. So what I an honor. So. And thank you guys for this flatter. I, I'm very, I'm flattered. I, it's, I've been friends with Drew and he's been such an integral part of my life for so many years now. And to, to just be here and to be able to chat with you and to hear a little bit about this, it's been pretty amazing. And I know we'll draw me and Drew, Drew closer because we've definitely, we've come from such wild parallels in such weird ways. Mm-hmm. And this is another one because I had a mentor very similar to you and it meant so much to me and it sent me on the right path. And thank you for sending Drew on that right path or I wouldn't have a best friend that's going to stand up at my wedding with me. So it really means a lot and it's, you're a part of it. And it's a beautiful gift to share and, and get a friend back in another relationship. So in a great sense of honor and respect, I consider that a nice friendship, Matt. Thank you. And Drew, can't say anything more than I love you. I love you too, sir. All right. Thank you so much. It was a great talking to you. You guys, cheers. Okay. Take care. Bye. If you all enjoyed this podcast, we would love your support. So please share with a friend and hit that subscribe button. Hey, thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on our social media channels. I'm at Drew Schaefering as well as at Crux Brand. And follow me at Matthew Stylus. If you or a friend have a very interesting hair story and journey through hair, please reach out and let us know. Until next time, this this is The Strands That Bind Us.